got here just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just? I believe that this nation should commit itself to landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. After thousands of years gazing up in the heavens and dreaming of this day, a man is about to set foot on the moon. Across the world, people wait with bated breath. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a live signal. There he is. The shock across the nation at this event is just indescribable. The Soviet cosmonaut has become the first to set foot on the moon. Good evening. Tonight's main story, a series of brutal murders that have shocked the nation. My name's Aidan Mendel, and I'm a serial killer. Aspiring serial killer. Welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I am I, I'm, I'm getting more and more worried about the state of the MCU at the moment. Hi, I'm producer Dave. I'm not even focusing on the MCU. I've just started watching this brilliant new series called for All Mankind, that's on Apple TV, and I'm hooked already, and I've only watched one and a half episodes. Oh, okay. You know, it's funny enough. Okay, that, you know what? I'll tell you what. I'm not going to talk about... I've, I've, I've been ranting. I'm going to save my rant for MCU for another episode. So the, so let's let's park that. Forget I said anything. I want let's, to... Let's talk about shows that we are currently hooked on. Producer Dave, you just said For All Mankind. What is that? You said it's on Apple TV. What is it? Who's in it? Tell me about it. Um... The star, oh gosh, it's um, no, oh, Joel Kinnaman. And Joel Kinnaman, yes. Joel Kinnaman. Uh, he was in, uh, I just discovered that he's, he was in both the Suicide Squads as yeah. Red. Um, as Rick Flag. Rick Flag, that's it. Yeah. He was in both Suicide Squads as Rick Flag. Thought yeah. I'd recognized him and, and, and looked him up. Um, what intrigued me was when I read about the, the little blurb about the, the show before I started to watch it was that it was a, a what if and the what if is what would we what kind of state would we be in if uh, the Russians had landed on the moon first oh okay and the premise is that uh, well as we all know uh, Americans landed on the moon and they went there two or three times and after Apollo, the, the disaster of Apollo 13, they didn't go back. Yeah. And it's been umpteen years. And really, to be quite honest, space exploration was parked. The premise for this is 
if the Russians had gone there first, what would the Americans have done? Okay. And it's saying that it they would have not only gone to the moon, built a, a moon base, yeah, but also been shooting for Mars, and we would have probably been to Mars already. Okay, okay, I can, I can see that because the, the whole idea of uh, of the fact that because the Russians beat them to it, not only do they want to. Uh, you know, sort of like equal them, but they want to exceed what they've done. So because the Russians didn't get to the moon, they got to the moon and it's like, hey, we've gotten to this point. You haven't gotten here. So we have no point to push on further than that. I see that. Yeah. And it's it's a really good drama because there's all these other into, you know, that's the, the, the sole premise. That is the main focus. But, you know, they've also got the human side coming in and everything else and it's a really really engaging drama and one of the things i liked about it as well um each series because there's been three so far each series is in a different focus it is in a different decade okay so obviously the first one is in the 60s that's yeah. when the moon landing start happened the second one is in the 70s and the third one is in the 80s and it moves sequentially like that and you've got some people who are in there all the way through um Joel Kinnaman is yeah is in there but you know you've got a changing cast of characters as well and like I said I found all this out I don't know all the, the inside story about it I just read some of the blurb and, I, and then I stopped yeah and watched the first episode and I was hooked and I'm halfway through the second episode I'm still hooked and um I've read some of the ratings as well and they are really high they are really really high and I'm thinking to myself why haven't I heard of this before? Well, I haven't seen that, but what I'm currently hooked on, and I think you've already given a recommendation of this a long time ago, six seasons, Netflix, Shit's Creek. Oh, uh, gosh, it, yeah. You, yes. Yeah, we've been talking about that, yeah. Yes. Um, I because I remember you talked about it. I remember I've seen adverts for it. I've uh, it's been it did very well at the Emmys, and that was kind of one of the prompts uh, that you know made me want to jump into it. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I'm producer Dave, and we have a bumper crop of interviews today in the spotlight section. We'll be talking to uh, Louise Bricks Anderson promoting a short film, The Pill, which is doing gangbusters in various uh, film festivals, as well as we talk about her book as well, which is Remote Filmmaking. We're going to jump into film and TV news in just a second, where we talk with Dom Lenoir and Jared Rogers. Let's jump into film and TV news. listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we have, he's a repeat guest, comes on the show to talk about all his projects, making us feel terrible because we're not getting our lives sorted out. Uh, but he's, he's a producer who's got a film that's come out called When the Screaming Starts, and he's brought along a guest. I'll let him introduce himself and the guest he's brought onto the show. Take it away. I am Dom Lenoir, and this is a podcast for When the Screaming Starts, which is now out in the USA. And also we have the signature release. 
And with me is the fantastic Jared, one of the lead actors and also a producer on the film. Hello, thank you for having me. Excellent. Welcome, Dom. Welcome, Jared. Uh, this we've been we've been talking about this film for what seems like years now because uh, I remember we were we were right there on set. Dom, you gave us the invite to come uh, to watch the film uh, being being shot. Um, and I, we watched it recently and I'm watching the scene and I'm like, hey, that's where I was standing at that point, just behind that bit, this, this shot. And it was like really good. Uh, it made me feel really nice, nice and tingly. Like, yes, I was there watching this being made and really enjoyed the film when uh, the screaming starts. So what we're going to do, um, I'm going to, Dom, I've asked you this question, you and Connor, who normally comes on to talk about the film. So I'm going to get Jared to tell us what When the Screaming Starts is all about. Jared. As someone who's a producer and the actor in the film, tell us what When the Screaming Starts is all about. So When the Screaming Starts is a um, it's more of a dark comedy, um, kind of comedy horror uh, mockumentary about an aspiring serial killer. So we've seen so many films about a serial killer and, and seeing all their, their kind of murders and, and true crimes and stuff. But this is about a guy that has been inspired by all those horror films and, and true crime dramas and um, actually, yes, aspires to be become a serial killer and um, basically form a, a Manson-style uh, cult. So it's a bit of a, a Louis Theroux meets uh, the Manson family. Uh, lots of comedic moments and, and lots of kind of horror moments as well. So it really kind of blends the two together and I think it really helps uh, entertain sort of both fans of the genres. And the the aspiring killer is, the aspiring serial killer is Aiden, played by Ed Hartland and you play Norman the uh, the Louis Theroux type uh, interviewer. Going into the film, did you go and binge watch all of the mockumentaries, the Louis Theroux stuff, to be able to see if you can capture his essence as you go in? Yeah, I watched a lot of the the early Louis Theroux stuff, the the weird weekend stuff, where he's a lot more um, definitely sort of I think playing with the guests a lot more. He was sort of definitely learning his craft a bit more at at that stage. So uh, Norman's definitely inspired by Louis Theroux, but he's he's almost the the pound shop version. Dom, you brought in as a as a producer on the project. What attracted you particularly to this project? Well, I mean, the first thing is Connor did buy me dinner, which is always a, a very good, <laughs> a very good way to uh, <laughs> to entice me. Uh, but I mean, on, honestly, the only thing that really attracts to a project is a the people and b the project. And Connor sort of had a few few ideas sort of bouncing around, and he he showed me this one, and and, and it just seemed quite original um, and interesting. And I'm not necessarily a sort of a horror aficionado but this just seemed like a really well-balanced funny comedy and it, it seemed quite achievable as well and um, a lot of the team were actually you know sort of in the crew and the cast which really helped make it something that had like a really solid base um, to get it off the ground and um, it just sort of started as advising and then you just sort of end up producing by by way of just getting more invested in uh, in the project as i mentioned earlier you invited myself and uh, david to come on on set to see it so for what we've seen you've been there from that starting point right all the way to now where the film is going out it's it's shaking various cinemas and various festivals and so on 
It's gotten a lot of uh, Oscar, not Oscar. It's got a lot of festivals. Yeah, we got Oscars. We'll take that. Absolutely. You heard it here first, everyone. I'm like I'm like a Simpsons episode when I say I will it into being. So, so you've got a lot of festival buzz about your dust. The very first festival that you went to that you got great reviews from. Tell us which festival that was and what it was like actually hearing hearing the response to the film. So it was it was Fright Fest was the first one, which is obviously one of the biggest horror festivals in the world. We premiered there, which was which was pretty decent. And we also had an extra screening because there was a real demand for the film. Um, we, we were the only film that actually had a third screening. So that is that is pretty good. Um, the reception was very good laughter. The Q&A was very enthusiastic. There was laughs in moments we expected and laughs moments we didn't expect. I was delighted that my uh, my own cameo got, got a good reception on, on all screenings. There was a lot of four-star reviews and we've had a lot of four going up to our five-star review first, which we had today. But the reception critically has been, has been decent. And, and after that, we had a similar experience in the USA, Film Quests and Telluride Horror Show where... The fans, you know, going in cold turkey and the reviewers really res- responded well to, to the film and, and in Ireland as well. So it's kind of covered all the major territories and cultures have, have seemed to respond in the same way to it, which has been great. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned the uh, your cameo in it. And I was like, th- th- when I saw that cameo, it struck a chord with me because I too want to stab you in the back every time I see you walking in front of me. Uh, <laughs> you listen to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. Lamb's producer, Dave. And we're here with Dom Lenoir and Jared Rogers, both producers. And Jared is one of the uh, stars of the horror comedy when the screaming starts which is now available from my perspective i really i enjoyed it i was one of the things that we talked about i think we've probably talked about this uh dom in in the past and definitely when connor was here about the balancing between comedy and horror how usually obviously it, it, it's v- very few films actually can handle it uh, because obviously once you have comedy once you're laughing it's pretty difficult to then get scared jared for you when you got pitched the idea of coming in as the character of Norman, what was what in in your mind prepared you to be able to walk that fine line to make sure that the comedy doesn't ruin the horror and the horror doesn't ruin the comedy? Um, I guess kind of watching like a lot of um, I mean Ed Hartland, um, who plays Aiden and and one of the writers, he's definitely the the horror. Um, I don't know, like the, the most uh, just knowledgeable. the horror. <laughs> yeah, he he's just the horror. He just brings the horror. Um, <laughs> he uh, he has like this kind of the biggest sort of horror knowledge of us all. So I, I sort of tapped into to that well to just sort of see the the films that had inspired him, uh, and and also just watching like a lot of kind of horror comedies myself, and just kind of seeing that that balance. But but to be honest, like it, it was really just between. Uh, Ed and Connor in like kind of the writer's room like I would I would be the tea maker in the the latter stages of um, the script draft so um, just kind of seeing them sort of bounce ideas back and forth and if it wasn't in the room it was over whatsapps and well, I guess actually it was before zoom it was it was pre-covid so um, like zoom wasn't even a, a thing back then but but yeah just like it was really just those two um, had just seen those kind of deliberate over 
yeah, when the the shift happens and, and when the screaming really does truly start, um, I, I would love to say that I had a massive uh, part in that um, of deciding that. But really, it was, it was those two that decided that, and then um, Dom and myself were just there to kind of accommodate. Um, mm. And you mentioned Ed Ed Hartland. Uh, he he rocks it. I have to say, as as uh, Aiden, from the moment he, he he pops up on screen and you see his face, and immediately because there's a little bit of a description about his character before he pops up, and it's li- literally you couldn't describe him any better, and he couldn't re- reflect that that face of somebody who is completely out of his depth, but doesn't know it yet, and he just shows up right at that point, and it's it, it's like, yep, okay. I also recognize a number of people that look like that. So I'm not going to be uh, <laughs> avoiding them from now on uh, when, when, when they pop up. Uh, so now, Jared, as a producer as well, you're, you're one of the leads in, in the film. It's more of an ensemble cast. It, it, in my opinion, it, yeah. it comes as an ensemble cast, but you're one of the leads in the film. Um, how, did you, how did you tackle juggling both being in front and behind camera? Uh, it was it was a little tough, not going to lie. Um, I think that only there was a few days when I wasn't in front of camera, so I didn't have to be dressed as Norman whilst kind of doing behind the scenes things, like kind of picking cast members up in the, like Norman drives a, a camper van in the film. And, and sometimes I would pick up the uh, cast members in that camper van dressed as, as Norman. So um, yeah, I think round... Uh, Picking people up from Richmond train station, there was a few, uh, few uh, heads turns there. Like, is, is this guy really just wearing a, a full brown suit and, and glasses? And uh, I had, I mean, my hair's a little bit getting back to the uh, the Norman length, but it was, um, yeah, just that was before really big... he was in character. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just this big kind of bushy hair and stuff. But um, yeah, yeah, I think just like never having a sort of a moment really to sort of take a take a breather, like the moments in. Um, in the film where um, Norman might be a bit more sort of uh, stressed with, with how uh, Aiden and the family, uh, their antics in the film, it, it kind of just, yeah, just kind of helped. I always sort of felt, felt like Norman, I think just the, even sort of behind the cameras as, as producer, you're just trying to sort of juggle so many um, or spin so many, I was going to say juggle so many plates, spin so many plates, but yeah, no, it, it was a lot of fun. And I guess I guess you're right in the sense that the character itself also lends to because the character has to it, Norman has to be the one who's directing and controlling what's going on in the narrative. Then you're also doing the same thing in terms of producing outside as well. So that that works hand in hand. I can see that. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And uh, for you, Dom, um, which description of the film do you prefer? Do you prefer uh, comedy horror or horror mockumentary which one would you give it it's a it's a difficult one i mean we've had this conversation many times and it comes down to marketing more than anything um i think with a mockumentary when it becomes like cult classic status you know like this is spinal tap then mockumentary is like the sort of the prestige badge that you can put over it but i think um you know and same with like what what we do in the shadows but when you're when you're sort of like in new territory and you're sort of tentatively reaching out to markets and maybe a lot of the sort of the mass audience don't know exactly or haven't seen that many mockumentaries, horror comedy is is basically like a more accessible badge for it. 
uh, for a lot of people. And I, and I think it depends who you're pitching it to. You know, you, you either start with the comedy horror or you start with horror comedy, depending on if you're sort of talking to horror friendly audiences or, or not. But I think one thing that has been consistent is we have mostly played horror festivals, but the laughs have been consistent. So, you know, I, I tend to look at it slightly more as, you know, a comedy that becomes a horror. Um, but, you know, other people might have different opinions of that. I can see uh, how, you, as you said, it's, you know, how you're pitching and where you're actually going to be uh, playing it. Um, having watched the film, seeing, as you said, it kind of starts off funny and it descends into into the vast horror, the horror of it because you're not really you don't really see where it's going to go you, you can guess obviously it's building up to something but the moment it starts it's like okay so now we're fully committed to what it is we're going for uh, and that's where we're going so i guess i can see why it would play very well in horror festivals because it, it starts off as something that you're not expecting right it starts off with that description and they're laughing they're enjoying it they're waiting for the horror and when the horror comes in like Excellent. I got my bonus and now I'm here for what I've got. So that works very well. Um, and the, obviously, as you've mentioned, it's doing very well in festivals. London Film Festival, um, you won a best sci-fi horror uh, feature. So that's great. That's ter uh, terrific. Um, is this sort of a path? In fact, actually, this is a question I want to ask before I come back to that one. Um, you mentioned uh, some of the other ones that you mentioned as well. You talked about, um, oh, uh, it, it just it just slipped my mind, the... Uh, the band, the the horror spinal comedy. Tap. Thank you. This is Spinal Tap. So you have things like this is Spinal Tap. You obviously have The Office. You have things like Parks and Rec, and so on. What sort of film influences uh, did you feel? Okay, these are things that have done where I, you know, what we're trying to do, and so maybe we want to try and emulate that, or maybe we want to stay away from these type of things. What films influence the decisions that you guys made in the film? I'll, I'll, Dom, let's go to you first, then Jared will go to you. Uh, I mean, as an outsider, I, I suppose the, you know, to, to horror more, more. Um, I'd say the comedy reference were the ones that sort of resonated with me most. Um, and I think that the Spinal Tap was always like in the background, that kind of uh, comedy. But I, I feel like um, what we do in the shadows was always like a really good reference for me um, because you've got, got that sort of slightly mythical um edge to it that's that's very dark um that, that sort of it's quite unexpected to have something so dark with comedy um so so that was always a big one for me but i, I think um yeah jared probably has his own thoughts and jared because you talked about louis theroux influencing you as uh, was that was it solely that aspect that you wanted to get yourself prepared with or did you go and look at other type of horror comedies to try and massage your way into the project yeah i i suppose uh like i Weird Weekends, uh, the Louis Through stuff was definitely uh, ones I just watched for for kind of like Norman uh, research and and yeah, what Don said, like definitely what we do in the shadows uh, and the Office, like the the original, the UK version, just like how um, yeah, like how how bleak it can be at times and how um, just like you're you're finding something that's kind of really um, a really funny moment from. Obviously, in the office, it's not horror, but there's just like certain scenarios where you're like, "Oh, this is just either really kind of kind of cringeworthy or just really, um, yeah, bleak." But there's just so, so much comedy for it, and it was nice. Um, Telluride Horror Show was the first uh, festival that we played in 
in the US and it was really nice to hear kind of jokes land that maybe originally there was a slight fear that or maybe this is is kind of too sort of kind of British reference or something like that but it it, it seemed to really um yeah sort of translate across which was which was great you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM I'm Marcus E. Ako and I'm producer Dave and we're speaking with Dom Lenoir and Jared Rogers, who are here promoting When the Screaming Starts, which, as we mentioned, is doing tremendously well in film festivals. It's finished that run. It's now uh, almost available. For, in fact, it should be available for you to be able to watch. Uh, Dom, just to remind us, if people want to get this film, how can they get to watch the film? Um, that's a very good question. If they are in the UK, it should be on all of the, the usual suspects, uh, Sky, Amazon, iTunes, etc., etc. And in the US, um, through Cinedime, uh, Screenbox is the exclusive. So it's starting off with that, which I think you can sign up for a free trial at the moment, if I remember correctly. Uh, and then it's going on to the sort of the regular platforms after a, a short, um, what's the word, short preview window. Yeah. So all, all the viewers in America, just go and sign up for all those free trials, watch when the screening starts on each of those platforms, and then mm -hmm. shut down straight after you've watched it. <laughs> you don't have to watch anything else. So, you know, it doesn't matter. At least you get to watch the film. Um, this is a question that I would have wanted to ask if Ed was here or maybe Connor, maybe Connor had its influence. There was the band that was at the beginning of the film that uh, Aiden's character, Aiden, Connor's character, um, Ed's character. And we, we were, so was that part of the Spinal Tap influence to the film? Or, and, and more importantly, is that, does that band still exist? Do they still rock or has, uh, have they broken up as was told in the film? Uh, obviously, Ed Hartland, who plays Aiden, uh, is the, I think Connor and, and Ed wanted a, a backstory for um kind of what Aiden was yeah sort of doing like before the film and uh also um not trying to give too much away what happens in the film but also to give him kind of a reason for uh for one of the reasons of why he wants to um sort of become this aspiring serial killer. Uh Nick Hartland, Ed's brother, uh, he did quite a few of the uh, the tracks the sort of the real heavy metal tracks and it was one of the later things we filmed the the cannibal death march the this heavy metal music video and yeah it just was was something we wanted to get them involved with there's there's also ed's uh, brother-in-law um plays the drummer in the music video and um they actually are still uh, Ed and Nick, a, a part of Cannibal Death March. You can find their their songs on Spotify and um, maybe iTunes as well. But uh, yeah, they actually are in the real world. They are still together. They are still a band. I'm gonna. I need to download a, a Burn the Witch because that song was. It, I'm not a. I'm not a heavy metal guy, but that's that song stuck in my head. And I have to say, Ed was having way too much fun in that music video. It's just it, it, it's straight. It's straight out. It's, you could you could tell everything else was like no. I, it's just this is secondary to me being in this music video, and that's what I want to do. And you can tell in his face. Uh, so that's uh, say that let let Ed know. The props to that music video was fantastic. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. Let's talk about what's going on from here uh, as we're talking with the filmmakers behind When the Screaming Starts, Dom Lenoir, producer, 
and Jared Rogers, uh, actor, uh, character play, the actor who plays Norman and the producer of the film, when the screaming starts. Uh, Jared, let's start with you, then Dom will go to you. So Jared, what comes after when the screaming starts for you? Ah, oh, that's a very good question. It, it's been a, yeah, like two and a half year, kind of fully, <laughs> fully committed to the to the project. There's a few, there's a few things on the on the boil. Um, there's some people I met on um, the festival run in in the US, um, working on a feature, a um, definitely a lot more horror, kind of with sort of. Um, kind of sci-fi elements, uh, kind of looks a lot at uh, astral projection and stuff. Um, definitely very little, if if not no comedy at all in there. Like I, I'm still doing the, the kind of the comedy sketches, like the short form stuff on the YouTube shorts and TikToks and stuff. That's what kind of kept me sane sort of uh, away from the uh, from the film. And, and I know... Arguably if, uh, sane. Yeah, arguably sane, yeah. <laughs> And um, I, I know Ed and, and Connor have got a few projects as well that are in sort of various stages of development that I'm sure uh, I can, because I'm, I'm in the US now as well. So it's a little harder, but at least with kind of Zooms and email and stuff, I can uh, I can sort of help out virtually. Uh, a nice segue to Dom. So Dom, some of the projects that you're currently working on, what can you tell us? Because every time I speak to you, yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> we, we, can't, we would want to tell you about this. The marketing has said we can't do anything. It's like, yeah, stop rubbing it in. You're yeah. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, as, as I always say, I mean, it's, it's, sometimes it's down to marketing. Sometimes it's down to just, you know, I, I don't I don't think it's it's beneficial when you're sort of moving with a lot of projects to sort of talk about them before they're ready to talk about because it kind of dissipates um, a lot of the the drive behind it um but i can tell you what i have been up to um which is i've been producing on the unreason which is uh the shakespeare sisters um latest film so we wrapped with that um last month um on the final segue of shooting and that's like a, a comedy sci-fi so that's um gonna be a really fun one to look out for probably early next year it's like a sort of female bill and ted's also working on the aviation and um drone side on a very interesting hijacking film uh, which is down at dunsfold aerodrome it's like a basically like a filming airport uh, near guildford uh, so that, that was really fun and that has been a lot of the summer um doing that so now now I sort of had my holiday last week and um kind of back to the grind really and uh, yeah, getting ready for this release, which will be next week in the UK. Been following you, been following you, been seeing all the holiday snaps that you've been doing. You like to take your top off a lot on your holiday snaps. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, I that, like, well, I, I mean, I, I tend to, I tend to go swimming with my top off rather than my top on. Um, <laughs> it's, it's it's fine. It's fine. Those, those of you that have bo beach body, you know, you're, you're, you're beach ready. With your body. I am not. not I mean, I, I'll take it if, if, if you think I've got a beach body, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, we, we had a great time. I, I mean, I, I climbed Ben Nevis, which has been on the bucket list for a long time and uh, did a lot of Scotland. And that, that was really nice and, and hit the lakes on the way back. And uh, yeah, had a few topless escapades, as Marcus says. It's it's good to blow off steam after working so so long on on yeah. what a tremendous project. When the screaming starts, we definitely say go find out where you can watch it and watch it multiple times. Support this movie; it's really really good. 
really enjoyed watching it. Really enjoyed being on set uh, with producer. Producer, Dave, this is your first. That was your first time on a on a film film set, correct? Yes, it was. It was my first time on a film set being shouted at as well. So uh, yeah, so <laughs> get off. Stop making noise. Stop making noise. Yeah, because we're interviewing people. It's like everybody, shut up. It's like <laughs> okay, that's good. Stop looking around. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we, we go we'll check it out. Check the movie. Leave great reviews for it. And uh, yeah, so let's get Dom Lenoir and Jared Rogers going to the Oscars to go and, uh, you know, fulfill my slip up slash prophecy that for the fact yeah. that when the screaming starts, it's going to do amazingly at the Oscars next year. So that's I, I think I think Richard could be up for an Oscar. Uh, I, I don't know about the other cast, but I, I think Richard, <laughs> I think Richard could be in, in to win. Like he's been he's been very popular. Popular. Uh, nothing to take away from Jared and Ed and and, uh, and Octavia and Katie and all the other actors. Yeah, he, he's still he's still the show definitely. Uh, just popping up every night again. At the very beginning, he pops up and it's like, okay, fair enough, that's it. And then pops up. We're not going to say much about it, but yes, that's. Uh, I mean, it's 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 a good. It's it's great. We really enjoyed it. Great work, you guys. And we hope you come back for more projects. Tell us more of your projects, uh, and uh, we'll do our best to to shout it out as best as we can. Okay, can I can I do a last uh, plug for watching stuff? No, no, you can't. No, well, well I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> oh, well, go for it. Fine. <laughs> yeah, go okay, for it. so so the 26th is the release date for Signature in the UK. Um, they're one of the main distributors in in the UK, so you can find out from them or from our own socials when the screaming starts film or when the screaming starts or any of our personal ones. Um, go and watch the trailer on YouTube, uh, which hopefully you guys can put in the show notes as well. Absolutely. Um, and we'll try and put some link to watching it as soon as it's available on digital in said trailer and also maybe on the show notes as well. I uh, hope you enjoy the film. Send me all of that stuff. We're going to put it on the show notes when we send it out as a podcast. Awesome. Perfect. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank Cheers. you very much for having us. Thanks for having us. And that was our conversation with producer Dom Lenoir and producer and actor Jared Rogers talking about when the screaming starts. I really, really enjoyed the film. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is Spotlight. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we have another returning guest who's coming to rave about the rave reviews that she is getting for her short movie, The Pill. Please tell us your name and uh, let us know. When was the last time we spoke to you? Yeah, hi, Marcus and David. My name is Louise Brex Anderson, and uh, I was on around the time when I was publishing my first book, and that was around March 8th. Uh, I was there with fellow screenwriter and director Anne Cecile, and we talked about our projects. Absolutely. Let's talk about the film first. Let's talk about The Pill, and then we'll talk a little bit about your, your books and the success that you're having in that uh, industry as well. So first of all, tell us what, for those people who didn't hear that interview, what is The Pill about? Yeah, I think The Pill, the most attractive thing about this project is probably how it was done. The film itself, it's a sci-fi drama, kind of a near future drama that uh, talks about, I think, important issues like mental health, and uh, it was done during the pandemic. Actually, it was initiated 
during lockdown when all of us were at home. And I was uh, in a international filmmaking Facebook group. And so I pitched them a short film idea, a film, uh, a script that I had already written some time ago and told them, hey, why don't we try and do this remotely? And they pretty much loved the idea. And um, a lot of people came on board. Uh, we allowed for basically anyone in the group to join the, the project. And so we had anything from people with almost no experience who were just kind of shadowing. And then all the way up to um, people who had worked in Hollywood for many, many years and who were acting more as sort of a mentors and trying to guide the project and help us with whatever was needed. So I was the screenwriter, obviously, and also the director of the project. And then it just snowballed into a huge project with a lot of people involved. <laughs> we have a crew and a production team with people from nine different countries, which means seven different time zones. You can imagine how difficult it was to schedule meetings, finding that sweet spot when everyone is awake. And so, yeah, there were obviously a lot of challenges as you described, it was such a wide-spanning project across the globe. It's another film festival darling that's been going around and picking up the various, like, is getting a lot of attention from film festivals. Very recently uh, selected at the Barcelona Indie Filmmakers Festival, where you got a nomination as well, right, for Best Director. Yes. Yeah. So tell us, uh, first of all, when did, when did you hear about the, uh, the, the film festival, the uh, the inclusion into that film festival. And how did you feel about getting nominated as the best director? Well, I heard about it uh, not too long ago. I think it's a couple of weeks ago that we got the good news. And obviously, I'm, first of all, just extremely happy for the entire team because I think this project, it's just, I know all directors say that, oh, this is like a film, the the whole team. It's uh, It's the film of the whole team. It's not just my film, which obviously that is true and that is how it always is but this time it just felt even more like a team effort um, because we were so many people involved and most of us had never even met in person and we really bonded and became friends and of course so you form a relationship with these people um, even though it's online and so whenever you get the great news that the film has been selected, you're just so happy and proud, but really happy for the entire team. And getting a nomination as a director is, of course, seen from a very narcissistic point of view. Wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful to get that recognition. Um, it's also a project where I really worked very, very hard um, because, as I said, there were a lot of challenges doing a project remotely. Uh, and speaking of, because you, we did talk about this the last time you were on, but let me reverse this question and actually ask you, what did you find was actually the, the most helpful part of the process working mm. remotely as opposed to other projects that you may have been where you were directing uh, on set? There are plenty of really, really good uh, things about working remotely. One of them is that you uh, have so many opportunities for selecting your team. Uh, you're not limited to just your own city or something more local. Um, so you have like a full, you know, the whole world open to you actually for talent, which is pretty amazing. It's also not as time consuming because you do a lot of meeting well basically all of the meetings online 
as opposed to meeting somewhere face to face and then having to count with transportation back and forward. It seems to be a lot easier to, uh, you know, to find a, a time to meet each other when it's just, oh, it's just a Zoom call away. And so for that matter, it was a lot easier. Rehearsal with the actresses, it was very difficult for them because they're sitting in front of a screen and having to to uh, to rehearse and you don't have that same human touch and connection. So it was difficult for them. But at the same time, um, just like I said before, with, you know, finding times to meet each other, it was so much easier for us to schedule. We had a whole rehearsal schedule planned out. Um, and especially actors and actresses, they'll have like crazy days because maybe they have a play in the evening and maybe they have a part-time job in the morning or so. And they were so flexible because it was just a Zoom call. You know, I just told them, you have one hour, you have one and a half hour for me in the evening. Let's do it there. And so the flexibility was great, you know, and we got to rehearse probably a lot more than what I would have done otherwise um, under normal circumstances. So for me as a director, that was great. <laughs> I mean, for them as well, but it was definitely a challenge. Of course, because you, as, you, as you said, you don't have to worry about rehearsal space. You don't have to worry about mm. transporting people from there to that point. Is it can exactly. literally just walk out of bed and just go and stand in front of your camera. You're nice and relaxed and so on. You can work longer and, and you can take breaks because obviously you're at home, don't you go anywhere. So that's it's great to be able to see. I know obviously, and we talked about this the last time, there are things that you lose when you're working remotely as opposed to that, you know, that uh, personal space, that personal touch, yeah. being on set, things change differently if that happens. Uh, but yeah, thank you for giving us that. You listen to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we're speaking with the writer and director of the short film, The Pill, Louise Bree Anderson. Uh, David has got a question for you. Yeah, I just wondered, where did the idea for The Pill come from? How, how did you develop it as well? I have a tendency to go into really dark and deep and complex stories. I kind of like to um, explore the human mind. I have an interest in psychology and just like overall uh, an interest in the human mind and how we work and how we think. Um, I also really like to tap into taboos. So everything that people are a little bit scared of talking about, I love to expose and look into and and make films about because I think ultimately films are about you know when you put your your content out there and you're hoping for people to debate it and talk about it and that it maybe will make a difference in their lives or it will uh, impact them in some way so I think it's very powerful to talk about taboos in filmmaking and so um this movie uh, I'm going to um reveal a little bit what the what the film is about it's about uh, suicide and also assisted suicide um, and therefore mental health I thought it was a very powerful and interesting subject and I did actually write the script before the pandemic but obviously with the pandemic it became even more current as a theme and even more important and um, I can't actually remember if it happened before or after I think I yeah I think I saw a title like a headline in an article 
And I didn't even write, uh, read the article because I just, I got inspired by the title and I didn't want to write the story based on the article. I just wanted to get, you know, the inspiration and then do my own story. But it was an article about a very young girl that had um, committed suicide, but assisted suicide. So she had been given the permission, so to speak, to have a, a dignified death and go to a place and, and commit suicide. And so I thought that that immediately was so powerful to me. And I thought, well, yeah, I mean, I'm for assisted suicide when it comes to um, very, very sick or, you know, people who really suffer or old people of course, they should have their rights to decide themselves whether they want to live or, or die. But wow, what about when we talk about a 16-year-old girl? I mean, and, and that for me, I did not even have the answer at the time. So I tried to explore that through my filmmaking and writing the story and and making this uh, short film. And that's really what I would, what I'm, um, attempting to do with my films I guess it is to take hard and difficult subjects and make people reflect about them and make them debate you know I'm not telling you what to think but even if you just debate it after the film I'm happy <laughs> and speaking of that debate uh, what has been the reaction from the audience that you found about the film what have people said to you has been either the decisions they've made or how the film influenced them. What have you heard as a feedback from the film? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 been very interesting for me because I did realize that suicide is uh, an important topic. It's also a taboo, and it happens a lot more often than we we tend to think or believe. Um, but I didn't realize how common it really was because I've just had so many people coming up to me after the film. And they all had some sort of connection to suicide, whether they had uh, attempted it themselves or they had um, friends or family member that had attempted or had actually gone through with it. So most of us have either had a direct or indirect connection or um, experience with suicide, which is really crazy when you when you think about it. So so that surprised me that it was even more um, frequent than probably what I had thought. Um, and then a lot of people uh, were very impacted by the story and and they told me that it had really made them think about what they thought about assisted suicide. And so for me, that that was a great compliment because ultimately that was what I wanted when I wrote the story. Excellent. And if people want to uh, watch the movie, how can they get the opportunity to watch The Pill? Well, at the moment, we are kind of, uh, we're going to end the festival circuit. Um, I never meant for this film to have a very large festival circuit. We never went to a distributor or I did it myself. I sent the festival out myself. We were also on a limited budget. Um, so it came out in 2001, in the beginning of the year, and I think we'll probably be ending by the end of this year, beginning of next year. Um, and then I have to look into where I want to, where I want the film to have its life, 
So whether that's going to just be put up on YouTube, or we're going to find a platform, especially for short films or another place, a streaming platform that will will screen the film. I don't know yet. That's something I will look into. Um, for now, I can tell you that not only did we get a nomination from, from the festival, uh, we are also to be screened, uh, but it's going to be in November in Barcelona. So if you are in Barcelona <laughs> around uh, middle of November, you can definitely catch um, the pill on the big screen. Um, if you follow me on a social media, I'm sure you're going to realize when it is because I'm going to be posting about it. Um, but otherwise, you know, it, it will probably come out some at some point for people to see online uh, next year. And speaking of social media, give us those social media tags so that people can follow you and then they can find out if they're in Barcelona or happen to be visiting, they can go and check out the movie. It is my name. So my name is spelled uh, L-O-U-I-S-E, Luis. And then my middle name is Bricks, B-R-I-X. And then the A for Anderson. <laughs> so it's Luisa Bricks A on Instagram and on Facebook. I think you can just um, look for Luisa Bricks Anderson. This is Danish, not Swedish. So it ends with S-E-N and not S-O-N, as most people write it. <laughs> I get, I, I've been baffled by that number of times. I've been, every time in my head, I'm like, okay, so we're, introduced, we're interviewing Anderson. Not Anderson, Anderson. It's N E N. So and iPhone, whenever you're trying to save details, it, it always tries to say, did you mean Anderson with an S-O-N? It's like, no, if I meant Anderson, I would have typed in Anderson. So uh, yeah. <laughs> so follow, follow follow Louise on social media to find out more about The Pill. Uh, you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And Louise Bricks Anderson has uh, a number of books out on filmmaking. One in particular, you talked about this when you were with us the last time, Remote Filmmaking. Tell us what it does Remote Filmmaking, your book, tell us, uh, you know, uh, educate people about. Sure. And just a little correction. I only have one book out, but <laughs> I hopefully in the future will have more books out. Remote filmmaking, I wrote after doing The Pill, the short film we just spoke about, basically based on that experience of doing the entire project remotely, but also having talked to other people, other colleagues of mine and friends of mine in the business who have had some experience with um uh, I have one uh, friend who's a director. He's done a lot of commercials remotely, like actually directing remotely. So this is where my project was a little bit different because we did everything except for the shooting itself was done on location in a hotel in Barcelona. And I was present there. Um, so those two days of shooting, shooting were done where I was present. And so I have a friend who's done commercials that he actually directed over Zoom remotely. And I know loads of other people have had experience with that during the pandemic. So there's actually a, an interview with him, a very practical interview about how he did it and how was the setup and all those things. Um, and my book is really meant for mostly for people early in their career. So I'm going through the entire filmmaking process from writing to, you know, to actually the festival circuit. Also talking a lot about um, 
networking, how important that is um, and how to do it and how to do it online. And so the whole filmmaking process, I am talking about it, but from a perspective of doing it remotely. And so a lot of things you can do. I mean, obviously writing the script, uh, <laughs> it's just you. So there's nothing special about that when we talk about remote projects. Um, but whenever there is something where you can do the project remotely, I will speak to that and I will talk about solution and I will talk about the challenges that you can face and how you can solve them. I mean, the, the, the target audience, it's not something who has 30 years of experience in the film industry, only if the person is very, very interested in, in remote collaborations and how that can be done but otherwise I would say for people who either are completely new starting out or maybe have gone to film school and are doing some of their first short film projects that's a, a great book for them to pick up because even if you don't plan on doing a project remotely with like like what we did nine different countries and all around the world it doesn't have to be like that but just getting it on the radar and say hey um the music composer I mean I don't have to look in my own uh, little, I mean, in my own city, you know, first of all, I can be looking nationally, but I can be looking internationally for someone. And I think most people are aware of that, but okay, so then how do you work with a music composer remotely or an editor, or what are the, some of the tools and programs that can help you further? It's, I, I think it's still a great idea anyway, even people who are more experienced in, in filmmaking, uh, being able to look at your perspective, because that's what you've done, right? You've gone through something they've never done. They've never done remote filmmaking. It may spark ideas outside of their own box, which might help. Absolutely. I always look at it as no matter what, what I, no matter how good I think I am at something, I always know I, I don't know everything about it. And I, I will consume as much information as I can. So your book, Remote Filmmaking, is out. Uh, on Amazon, I believe, in other avenues. Yes. You can get it. I highly recommend to people, if you're a filmmaker interested in learning about the business or just curious as to, well, you know, what does a distribution, what happens in a distribution, what is required for distribution, get that book so that you can check it out and, and, and learn more from Louise Bricks Anderson. Uh, Louise, thank you very much for coming and talking to us again on Shoot the Breeze. We welcome you back anytime, whenever you have any new projects. Speaking of new projects, thank you. What do you have in the future? Right. So um, I wanted to make just one little mention of another project I put out this year that is um, actually free and available as a podcast. It's called Changing the Narrative. And there is a platform called xotv.com. If you look for Changing the Narrative, you're going to be able to watch the actual videos. So those are interviews with 10 different women. Uh, but anywhere where you normally get your podcast, you can also search for Changing the Narrative and listen to those 10 episodes. They were really made from my heart. And the women are amazing. The women that I, I interview, they are all about um, pretty much destroying the typical stereotypical images we have of women in our society showing that um, they can do many more things and you know in in different ways that we maybe usually uh, see them as or or want to think they can or cannot do 
So that's one project I put out there this year. And for the future, I am, I've written a feature film. It's a, a film called Sisterhood. And it's, uh, I'm moving a little bit into the horror genre. It's probably like a psychological thriller slash horror mystery, I would call it. Um, and I'm very, very excited about this. And I'm currently um, polishing the script and going to be looking for producers and hopefully go into production at some point, um, which would be my first fiction feature film. And so um, apart from that, I'm working on a feature documentary with a Spanish production company. And we are hoping to start filming probably in the beginning of next year. We're doing some pre-production right now. And uh, it's called Noah. It's about a very young girl, about 20 something years, who has seven different rare diseases. Not one, not two, seven. Wow. She's pretty extraordinary. Um, she has a huge following on you know, all uh, social media because she is very outspoken and really wants to you know, give visibility to rare diseases in general. So she's a real fighter and activist. and um, looking forward to to starting with that project too uh, we we look forward to hearing more about that project we'll definitely get you back on when you've got more uh, traction on the documentary and on your feature film and with regards to your podcast changing the narrative we'd love to hear more about that when we get you back on the show and uh, it, it, just to ask with changing narrative uh, do you only interview women or do you interview men as well well, this is the thing, Marcus. I started out with wanting to interview 10 different women um, just because, again, we were in lockdown at the time and I got to um, talk to a lot of interesting women uh, very like randomly uh, through networking and different projects. And um, I thought, hey, th th there's something interesting here. And so I really wanted to talk about, since I'm a storyteller, I know how extremely important stories are in our society but also how damaging they can be um, not just to women but also to other uh, to minorities and and other people and other groups of people that we um, put stereotypical images or concepts on and we're trying to break free of those and so that it, it's very easy to make up a story but it's a whole different thing to change that story and change that narrative that is very hard. Um, so I started out with 10 women and then I thought, you know what, maybe if I do a second season, I would do 10 men. But uh, for that, that has to be some in the new year, maybe. Uh, I'm so focused on other projects now, but I would love to do a second season. Luis, thank you very much for joining us. We will speak to you the next time. Thank you, you so up. much, guys. It's a pleasure as always okay. to be on. Speak to you later. Bye-bye. And that was our conversation with Louise Bricks Anderson talking about her film, The Pill, uh, and her book, Remote Filmmaking. I'd like to thank all of you very much for listening to us. Uh, I like to ramble quite a lot, as you've probably noticed. Uh, and uh, if, if you weren't there to listen, I wouldn't be doing this. Well, I'd be doing it, but I'd be doing it in a room uh, just to myself or to producer Dave, who would be trapped in a Zoom session with me. I also like to thank uh, Resonance FM for not listening to our show. Otherwise, they would have canceled us a long time ago. So keep not listening and keep broadcasting our 
ran random incoherent thoughts across your airwaves. You have been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance with a 4.4 FM. I have been Marcus Akko. I'm still producer there. Yeah, thank you very much for listening. Speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.